Oh, we moved. Uh, well, let's see. I uh, I moved to Texas in like 2008. Um, I had a, ba- a divorce and, and a hit rock bottom. Wasn't doing well. Felt aimless. So I went down to Texas to be with my folks. I thought I could do some good work with my dad. Oh, right on. Yeah. That's and pretty then, cool. Uh, yeah, because, you know, he was a dog. Like, it was kind of like a find yourself kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what, quite what to do with myself because I felt like, like, do you remember when we were in college and, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and you kind of throw some things around and you think you're on the right track. Some people were lucky. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't. I knew I was good at things, but I didn't know where to put that focus. Mm-hmm. But so I, I spattered around for a while and then. Then uh, I realized that I don't have any super talents or abilities. Some people are great at something, and I never focused. I never got it. I tried, explored, felt like a failure. And so, uh, so after the marriage, you know, I just kind of decided, well, what am I going to do that's, you know, make up for my sins or whatever? Uh, atonement kind of thing, like do some value, leave a mark on humanity. And I thought, well, the best thing I can do is help my dad, who was really amazing at, at helping people, easing suffering in the planet. So I, I thought I'll extend his career. I'll go help him. Right so that's, that brought me to Texas and then got me, you know, I was getting out of my uh, funk by that point and decided what I wanted to do with my life. And then it just gradually turned into this thing. Right on. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What year did you move down there then? Or oh, re- recording, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I wasn't sure if you were doing that. That's, that's fine. Uh, 2008, we did that. Oh, cool. uh, I did that. And then I met my wife, uh, what, a year later? And uh, the conception was, uh, just a minute, she's standing over here intimidating me. So <laughs> I'm going to... Such a scary lady. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can... Okay. Thank you. Uh, she, uh, so we had like this moment. Can you maybe go? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Where's the anxiety yeah. from the recording or the being watched? <laughs> being watched. <laughs> nice. Thank you. I'm never quite sure what's going to come out of his mouth. Well. So, uh, so we did, it was kind of unique that that was kind of interesting. Like it, you ever, we had a moment where the universe, I started listening to the universe. Like what's going to give me a sign. I was never good at instincts. Right. So this hit me like a ton of bricks. Started listening to the universe a little bit. Came like a hippie. Thought I was good at it. Our relationship's going well, and she's got to go back to New York. So this is the end of our relationship. We've been dating. It's going well. We thought, well, let's see if you can get pregnant in a month, and that'll be a sign from the universe. Thought, to hell with it. After years, nobody's getting pregnant. There was years of girls trying to get pregnant. Nobody got pregnant. I was going to go even see a fertility clinic, whatever. Throw, throw caution to the wind. She was pregnant within a month. I never had a sign like that in my life. Right on. And, uh, and that changed my life. What part of Texas well, did you meet in? West Texas, right where the oil's coming from. Forty percent of the oil in America comes from that area. Like Holy two, two counties, and uh, it's a it's a wasteland. It's a hellhole. We wanted to get out of there. I, I couldn't uh, get out of there fast enough. It was awful. I've heard, and I've seen a few other kind of. I think Joe Joe Rogan just moved there. Um, Austin is supposed to be the kind of only tolerable kind of area in Texas. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, they call it a, an island of blue and a sea of red. And it's a very liberal city. They say, keep Austin weird. They took the slogan from Portland, Port- where they use the same slogan, keep Portland weird. Hmm. Two liberal bastions. And uh, that's where uh, Elon Musk just moved from California. But uh, there's no income tax there, so it's 
a smart move for a rich guy. That okay. I think that's why Rogan said he moved out there too. It was just he hated California, but he wanted that same kind of liberal mindset still and low taxes, of course. So exactly. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos and um, uh, Bill Gates. They are amazingly wealthy, uh, but they live in Washington. That's a no-income tax state as well. Hmm. Uh, taxes in, in America are horrendously low. I'm, I, I remember being floored when I got my paychecks. It was like 15% tax. You know, That was a single guy getting taxed with a few deductions. I was keeping three quarters or more of my check. Not like Canada, where it's two-thirds. And, uh, and, and that was brilliant. Once I got kids, I was even less. I'm like in an under 14, 10 to 14% tax. Uh, total is that i guess because up here cpp so the pension plan that's approaching six percent already um ei is another two percent almost already and then yeah depending on what you make there's another there's your income tax chunk too right yeah i remember with retirement and all that i was lucky to get two-thirds of my check over time i'd get half Mm-hmm. no that's but but the opportunity here is incredible. The, the liquidity in the labor market, you go somewhere and think somebody's a smart guy. They're not that smart. They're, you stay in a job for two years and find a better offer and move on, you know, and no one's really great at their job. It's easy to succeed. In Canada, you had a job. You hung on to it for dear life because you don't know when you're going to get another good job. I remember that growing up. It was hard to get a job. And people were really good, but at their jobs compared to here, it was incredible. And uh, here, if you want to succeed, it's not that hard just a little bit of hard work and dedication and boom, you move up the ladder pretty fast. So I guess my one big question is the one thing that gets brought up first, and you can probably assume what I'm going to say between the differences between the two countries is the healthcare. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, My wife had a lot of issues and we had kids and we had premiums. And when I told that totaled it all up, I was making over six figures a year, over a hundred thousand a year, uh, between 100, 150 with the, her working as well. We were spending at least 10 to 15% of that on healthcare costs, premiums, deductibles, uh, co-pays. And if you roll that into taxes, it would have been closer to like the two thirds kind of thing taxed out of your paycheck. So in, the difference to me was in Canada, it's included in my paycheck and I have to, I have to worry about going bankrupt. Yeah. Here, I still have to pay all that stuff, do all the paperwork. The insurance guy gets all that check. And then, uh, you know, you're screwed. If you make less than 150000 you're kind of, or 100000 you're kind of still paying the same thing. It just goes to healthcare. And then uh-huh. one day you go bankrupt from it. Yeah. And I see that's like, especially when was it 2016 when Bernie kind of became a thing? I thought the universal healthcare was kind of his ball to run with, right? And there seems to be a few more big name progressives down there now, but it's still, it doesn't seem like, the universal healthcare is ever going to push its way through. No, it's uh, getting a lot of uh, pushback. AOC and the new progressives didn't get any uh, footing in this Biden uh, uh, middle of the road kind of uh, presidential candidate. Uh, he's he's kind of conservative. Uh, he's middle left, really. He's not progressive, and he didn't uh, take hold of much other than climate change out of that new deal that came up with Bernie. So there's there's not a lot going on for the hard left wing or even the progressives. I feel like. Uh, and, oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, we all kind of feel a little bit like there's no voice for us. But I feel the same thing is true on the right with the moderate Republicans and the conservatives. 
they have um, no voice either with the hard right taking over the Trump. But there was no hard left movement that took hold yet. And so a lot of us, me, you progressive, feel voiceless. We don't have anyone to represent us. Do you feel the the left kind of we- gets thrown under the bus because of kind of, I guess they call it like the woke movement or like, it seems like they always get this negative light, like Antifa always gets brought up and just these extreme movements instead of kind of shining the light a little further the other way on to the progressives. Yeah, they focus on the whack jobs and it's it's the far left doesn't seem to have a cohesive uh, movement that has any power or sway. I don't know if it has uh, something to do with the Christian right, which is also hijacked now, but the right, the hard right seem to always get more traction than the hard left. And that's still true, unfortunately, uh, that, which is also why I moved to Portland. I said, if I can't find a place that fits me in the country, let me find a community. And yeah. it is true here. I like living here in Portland where it is hard left, uh, progressive left. Like down here, the sewers have generators in them. We pay tons in extra taxes municipal for all these uh, in, uh, environmental projects and things that we believe in. Uh, daycare and all, all these things are normal here, even though they're not in the rest of the country. So it's kind of got that California mentality, but it's just not as expensive or. Yeah, yeah, it's getting there. Uh, It's not as expensive as California, but it's pretty high up there. It's like Vancouver. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. And and that's I got another interesting tidbit. Uh, When I lived in West West Texas, I had a a buddy of mine who was uh, a little conservative, but he was kind of a libertarian guy. Real good friend. He's on the cover of. uh, Wall, Wall Street Journal and Washington Post, he was the guy in the news, in the Antifa stuff in Portland with the paint gun. He, uh, he got sued. He's in the Malda magazines. Alan Swinney is his name. And, uh, and he got, he's on the run, I think, now. Um, but he came up here across state lines to join the Proud Boys, an openly racist fascist group, to fight the Antifa guys and, the, and, the, and to fight the Black Lives Matter movement came with weapons and uh with the intention i believe possibly to hurt people jeez what city was the chaz in because there was that whole what's that they had that whole kind of what city did the uh antifa was it antifa that took over like the city core of one of the cities and had this area called the chaz for a while yes um I i think they did that in seattle but they did something very similar here in portland Okay, and uh, this is where all the violence happened in Portland. But we didn't see any of that. It was mm. all relegated to, from what I understand, there were two hundred people who showed up all the time for protests at the beginning of the Black Lives Movement, and uh, they they were doing the same thing, just protesting. And then all of a sudden, these inciters came, and the Proud Boys came and started the violence. And then the Antifa did get a little out of hand. My understanding is, and attacked some federal buildings and set them on fire. But then there was some evidence that, that, that it was infiltrated by the Boogaloo movement. Uh, uh, it's uh, sort of a helter-skelter movement of people who just want to burn the whole system down and, and start a civil war. So the anarchists were, are coming out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy downtown, I guess. We, but everyone steers clear of that, and it's fine out in the suburbs. Hmm. So you're pretty, Don, like you're not in like the city core or anything. No, we're uh, 15 minutes out or more like 20 minutes out from downtown. Okay. And it's pretty nice. Yeah, the yeah, West Coast uh, is super nice. So, 
Yeah, it's beautiful out here. Beautiful. And uh, this is uh, the retirement dream. We bought a half million dollar house out here um, with all that work we did for eight years. And this is the reward after uh, after going to New York where we did that. I did that COVID work mm-hmm. uh, sort of to cap my uh, career in healthcare to say I'm going out as a hero and either I'll die or I'll live. But I did that for my son. I went out there with the intention that I might die, but I, I'll never have to teach my son a lesson because he'll know the man I was by what I did. Mm-hmm. So that was my war. When we grew up, we didn't have a cause. I felt hopeless and lost. And, uh, and any dream I tried was regulatory environment in Canada. It was not conducive to entrepreneurship, I felt. So I tried a few businesses, but they didn't take off. And, um, and it was hard. So with all that against me, I, I, it was kind of hopeless. But coming here, if I would have grown up here, I think I would have done something in my youth. But still, I, we didn't have that cause, that, that World War II or, or any of those great movements that those other generations had. So this was it for me. It was this COVID thing. It's funny you say that because I've been doing a lot of like, like you said, you had the soul searching. Mine just came probably way later and later and my divorce happened way later than yours in life also too, right? And Mm -hmm. in a lot of my searching and kind of looking around, it does seem like a lot of people, like you said, they lack that purpose or that meaning, right? Mm -hmm. So what brought on the New York thing? I remember... Like I've quit Facebook now and I had to find a way to track you down because it just, there was so much just crap on social media that I just kind of torch stuff. And so, yeah, I'm with you there because it filters, it, it, it seeps into your mind and it does something, all that, all that noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in, in uh, Texas, I was a specialty nurse in the hospital. So I, I, I tried really hard to qualify myself everywhere in the hospital, learn the whole system and became a specialist everywhere. So that was a specialized job. And I took a high paying job that was uh, flex pool or float pool, meaning I didn't get full time hours. I wasn't a salaried or full time employee. I was an at will kind of con- contractor within the building. Mm-hmm. So it was super high pay, but you never knew if you're going to get money. But there was a lot of work. COVID <laughs> hit. They shut the hospital down to make room for the surges. And that meant I was out of work. So I wasn't getting a lot of hours and I had to find something. So I could have cruised along there and done something. But I thought people are dying. I'm a strong man in the prime of my career. And what is I'm teaching my son, what what does strong men do? What does that mean? That means that you help people where you can. In a family, the strong protect the weak. In a community, the strong protect the weak. And if you're able to do something and don't do it, it's like you held back. It's it's a failure. It's a cowardice. And um so I had something to offer finally in my life. And if I didn't do it, then I couldn't look in the mirror. And that's what it came down to. Um, and people were dying. And nurses, uh, my coworkers and peers were pleading for help and drowning out there. And it was a call to duty. I, I uh, took out life insurance and sat my son down and said, I might never see you again. Here's what I want you to know. He's seven years old. It was hard. And he cried when he remembers that. But uh but I was prepared to go die for this. And I was scared. And we all were when we went there. Well, it's yeah, the numbers are the worst, I think, in that country, too. So, yeah. And that was the epicenter, which is where I wanted to go. I had the opportunity to go other places. I want to be the tip of the spear and go to the battlefront. And, and I did. And it was brutal where we went. There's, you're supposed to have negative air to suck the COVID out of the room. Well, the building I was in, they had built this new building. 
there was no negative air. They sealed all the windows up when they built it. So uh, the COVID was in the whole unit all day long. You were 12 hours surrounded with COVID and you kept your mask on, except when you went in your lunchroom or took your mask off. Some people kept it on 12, 14 hours a day. Did a lot of people kind of pick up and go there and help like you did it? They did because they're in the same boat. Um, but there was fear at that time in the beginning. So nobody, nobody, not enough people were going. Now it's quite different. I'm getting the same offers to go and the pay is starting to get creep up to where it was there. Uh, and there's a, a huge nomadic tribe of nurses around the country floating around now who don't have permanent jobs because all the hospitals shut down and then started up and shut down and started up to make room for COVID. So uh, all these people are going around the country doing that. But the problem is they're burnt out and they, now we get to pick and choose where we go. So we go where the big hospitals pay the most. Uh, that leaves the little county hospitals out dry. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't go places where the counties don't help themselves. I, that's mm-hmm. what I said. I mean, I'm not going to go somewhere back in Texas. My county is, is, is hit hard. They're at 40% positivity rate. Oh, wow. uh, they're dropping like flies, morgue trucks again, hospitals screaming, nurses are talking about quitting. The mayor up there is not doing a mask mandate. And, um, and, they're, and they're def- the businesses are defying and they fought the sheriff to stay open. So why am I going to go help them if they don't want to help themselves? It's not worth it. I'm not going to go die for them. Wow. And see, and up here, like every Saturday, either in Saskatoon or Regina, there's a huge anti-mask rally. And I don't think these people are seeing what you did. And so I think there's a lot of people here that still buy into the hoax, the conspiracy, and the whole kind of like, it's not a real thing. It's just another flu, right? Because I don't think they, we never got hit hard. Like, it's Saskatchewan. It's, I think we're under a million people again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how bad's the COVID there? Um, eventually, they're going to have more trucks, ICU nurses who can't keep up, and a shortage of nurses and beds. We're uh, we're going to get there. Like, <clears throat> how much do you keep track of from back home still? Or not back, too much. Like, we finally pretty much just canceled Christmas. We're the SAS party is pretty much a, a rewrapped conservative party, and that's who's been in power for twelve years now, and so. That's kind of like it's like you said, they kind of slow rolled it to keep the economy alive. And we finally started having deaths creeping in. And then maybe six, eight weeks ago, things started. Uh I think their threshold was 60. Like if there was 60 over 60 cases a day, then they would take it seriously. But now we're in like thousands, maybe new a day. Wow. So that's that's brutal. Uh, the death rate's going to climb and uh, eventually it'll get to morgue truck, uh, freezer trucks for the bodies and then uh, pop, popping tents up for ICUs. And it, your a system can't handle that. It's not built for that. No. And, and, and uh, I think that's what the people might misunderstand. It wasn't about people dropping in the streets and they're all your neighbors dying and one out of 10 dying. It was about your hospital being unable to help you when it's your turn. So a person who might live uh, would not have the chance to even get that hospital bed to have a chance. Uh, That's what it's about, is the overwhelming of the hospital with the surge that happens all at once. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked up, like, new cases per day, and it's, yeah, it's insane. Considering we were had, it was like 30 was our threshold, then 60, and now we're in the thousands per day. And just... wow. That's 
because we got hit so lightly in that first wave when was that like march april when kind of north america finally started getting hit and yeah. we're saskatchewan so we're not going to get the traffic there's not going to be this massive influx of people like traveling around right and so right. i think we slow rolled it all summer um I'm a government employee and I can do my job from home. So I just, I brought my computer home and I was able to work at home. And so I've been lucky that way. But I think because wave one was so flat here, now it's just out of control, right? Yeah. That's, uh, I think you guys got kind of lucky by being spaced out in Canada is doing all right. But it... It, it can't keep going like that. Uh, I, but the vaccine is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's It seems like something that that's going to be able to help us, but it's going to be summer before we get there. Um, yeah. We're getting vaccines out here within, uh, we're supposed to get them in a couple of weeks, maybe this week. Hmm. Saskatchewan got 1,500, and I don't know when they're getting more, right? So it's going to be... Oh, that's not enough. No, it's going to be yeah. all the the medical people and then probably seniors will get it or we'll yeah. be the first run so out here we're lucky they they have enough and uh for the long-term care facilities and staff that's me that's us i yeah. uh i took a job a retirement job now uh director of nursing and nursing facility uh 120 souls and or i still wake up in the middle and i terrified one of them's gonna get it oh, uh, and then it would spread and then we you know it once it spreads like wildfire in there half the deaths in oregon are from nursing facilities yeah, but uh, overall, we've been safe. We've kept everyone safe. They're safer by statistic in my care than out in the public if they're at home or or living with their family. How hard of a lockdown is Oregon right now? Uh, it's not too bad. Businesses are are they did a two week shutdown and they did shut down Thanksgiving and Christmas and there were but they didn't do the fines like they're talking about in Saskatchewan, and a lot of people here are also believe it's a hoax, even here. And uh, don't believe it's it's going to hit them. But the old people, even those ones, they're they're terrified because they still know that it could kill them. Uh, the people in my care uh, who don't believe in masks, there's a couple of them in the building. Uh, they still want the vaccine. So I'm, I'm not sure what that says. But well, you st- even if you don't believe in it, people are dying around you. Right. Like, you, right. Um, like you said here, it's finally starting to creep into the <clears throat> the senior facilities as well right and that's where it's going to get the worst like they're most at risk they're older their immune systems are down um so yeah the bad. risk of survival is low for those people uh i saw too many of them die i had a lot of my residents sorry patients in new york die and it's it scars me i uh, was crying on a daily basis it was brutal I have PTSD and I still, sometimes a song comes on the radio and I fall apart. Jeez. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't feel the severity has been conveyed properly. And like I said, I don't know if it's because Saskatchewan is so remote and we're only, and like our million people are spread out over how much of this giant province. Right. And so you don't want a death wave to be the reason people are like, shit, (laughs) <laughs> let's buckle down right. right unfortunately that might be what it takes in new york that happened and they took it serious over there over there it was amazing uh everybody was talking about it all the time everyone abide by the masks there wasn't any of this backlash or anti-mask rally that none of it was there because 
up there, everybody knew someone who was who died. Everybody mm-hmm. knew someone who died. There were so many deaths, and uh, it was brutal. There, you know, the army was in the streets putting tent. The Army Corps of Engineer was popping up ICUs and stuff like that. Luckily, they didn't have to use them, but it came real close. Uh, it was shocking though when when you could a seven o'clock shift change would hit, and there were people were banging pots outside. You go to work, and people are out in the streets clapping. And, you know, the first day you're like, what, what's going on? Well, they were cheering for us going to work all over that state, all over that city. It was it was amazing. And then driving into work, there were kids in schools and families with cards up. Some of them were like, please take care of my dad. And um, outside the window, so you could look outside the window of a patient and there'd be a family down there. And they'd be hoping that, you know, maybe they get a peek. I think that's dad's window. I hope he's OK. And there'd be a sign and you give the thumbs up. He's still alive. He's OK. But uh, there were other situations where young, healthy people died. And I was holding the phone uh, while kids, kids on FaceTime while you're holding their, their mother's hand. And the dad's saying, please don't go. I don't know how to do this without you. Kids screaming, you know, don't die, mom. But she's dying. Mm-hmm. And then she did. So how long were you in New York then? Nine weeks. Was it, okay. It's so over two months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster, really. Uh, a lot of people died under my care. And uh, that, that was the hard part in the ICU. Uh, usually you save one out of 10, or I mean, uh, nine out of 10. In this mm-hmm. case, you, nine out of 10 died. And you couldn't do a damn thing. You're just watching them die. At that point, it was too late. You couldn't do anything. You're just prolonging the inevitable. Some people survived, and those, those were miracles. What were you doing? Like, what part were you playing in? Were you helping with treatment or just helping people, like, once they got in and settled? Or, yeah, hey, I was uh, the uh, an ICU nurse at that point. They just recruited everybody who could qualify to go in there and do what they could. But uh, it wasn't your regular nursing. Uh, one person goes in the room for 12 hours. That's the only person. No cleaning, no anything. I was the janitor, I was the maid, I was the blood, I was the lab, I was respiratory. When a patient was crash- crashing, the doctors would stand at the window and po- open the door and pop an order out. But it was you and maybe one CNA in there with all geared up, sweating more than the patient and uh, doing everything we could to save their life. I remember one pra- patient had 29 lines coming in and out of their body. We had to manage all that. Jeez. So you're balancing heart rate and blood pressure and sedatives and trying to keep them alive. And it's, it was a losing battle. You've got a million dollars in resources you know, and, and three doctors at the window and a charge nurse and everyone, but no one coming in to help you because there's no point in risking all those people's lives. Mm-hmm. So was that contained in room to room, unit to unit, hey? I guess you yeah. have to. Yeah, they would segregate COVID units and non-COVID units, and there were more COVID units than non. So as soon as you walk in the door, you just have, you, you, it was COVID in the air, and you had to act like that to stay safe and stay alive. There were nurses falling sick. Oh, I bet uh, too. Like, yeah. it's going to happen no yeah. matter how much you mask. Because I think even at that time, there were still arguments about how it was transmitted. Like, yeah. Yeah, we, did, we didn't know for sure. Now we know it's respiratory and contact if you lick it. But mm-hmm. it's, uh, contact isn't really the method. It's respiratory. Uh, I was part of the Ebola response team when that came around. And we were trained for that. But we didn't know how those people were dying either. Now we believe... It was pure contact and just not really good precautions. 
but during COVID, uh, the Ebola thing, we were gowned up like uh, like spacemen. We had full gear with respiratory internally wrapped pappers, they call them. Um, we didn't even have that because those aren't available. They are now. The nurses now at some of the expensive hospitals have all that gear. Uh, but the ER is exposed. The ER doesn't have that. So uh, we, we're, we're not sending people to the ER for risk of dying for things mm-hmm. that are like brutal like people who need surgery were saying wait it's not worth dying yeah well there must have been a huge shortage of everything because i'm assuming any medical supplier knows what standard orders are so they're only going to produce so many masks so many gowns so many all supplies right and like you said all of a sudden it's like this avalanche of everywhere needs all this equipment all at once right yeah there was uh some stories of places that were out of tylenol out of fucking tylenol uh stuff like that we ran out of a lot of uh, there were drugs that we couldn't get a hold of we had to use second rate drugs or second choice drugs um, yeah the one thing i also like we're respirators kind of i assume those were in the shortest of supply too right in the beginning uh, i went to specifically to a place that had enough supply and they were skimming by, but it, it, they were getting by. But there were places that didn't have enough. We were still rationing all that stuff. They were under lock and key with security. So you you need a new N95. You had to go sign it out. You get one a day. And you protected it by putting a second mask over top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And gowns were getting short. I, I had other nurses at other hospitals that weren't so well supplied uh, in the Bronx, for example, where they were using garbage bags. They didn't have gowns. Just whatever you could to create barriers, I bet, hey? Yeah. Yeah. And and we were terrified. All the nurses were terrified. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's not so much. I'm not scared. A, a feeling of invincibility crept over me now. So I'm not scared of COVID anymore. But I think that's because I know that the precautions I'm taking worked. So I know how to do it and I survived. But I'm, I'm creating lists uh, for my employees now who haven't had to deal with COVID employees or staff and or residents. And they're terrified. They're, I'm making lists saying, well, you work in a COVID unit if we have an outbreak. And half of them are saying no. And they're terrified. They don't know. You know, they're scared for their own health. Yeah. No, that's understandable. But, um, yeah, for you to have that knowledge, at least, is good. Like, you went through hell. But now you've come out and you've seen how to properly deal with it, at least. So. Yeah. And I have this uh, little bit of guilt here because I feel like I don't have to deal with this anymore, but I have this specialized knowledge. So Mm -hmm. I'd hate to retire and leave the field. Uh, I could, uh, especially because of today's uh, Bitcoin, but uh, I don't have to anymore. But I still go to work because I I don't want to waste this knowledge when people need it. Maybe when COVID's over, I'll retire. I don't know. No, that's (laughs) you deserve it like how many people would especially in this era in this generation like um we're gen x and we're the last we didn't like you said we didn't have a war we didn't have that thing that kind of defined our generation we kind of we had it mostly easy right so for you to kind of pull up the bootstraps and go in there that that speaks to your character so. It does now. But I remember there was a time when I was young and I, I couldn't get a job, but I wouldn't cut my hair to do it. So <laughs> I was uh, kind of creating my own hell there. I could have cut my hair and got taken a job, job and made the sacrifices you have to make to build a future and a life. 
but I didn't want to let go of that. I didn't want to say society, you won. I want to do it my way. So I wouldn't cut my hair and do it. And I was willing to be homeless and I did. Um, of course, here in America now, you can have long hair and, and get a job. But at the time, it was different. And you're right. It's because we didn't have a great thing to fight for. So I was fighting for independence and autonomy and maybe a bit of an anarchist. I don't know. No. I remember the first time you posted a picture. <clears throat> on, I think it was. Yeah, I think we're only connected on, or we're only connected on Facebook. And the first time I saw a picture of you with like a shaved head, it blew my mind. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like you said, it, it felt like your hair was part of your identity almost, right? Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm balding now, but I grew the hair back just because that's how I see myself. Oh, and, fuck, uh, we're all balding. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's called your forties. So my wife's telling me, well, I, you know, just give up, cut your hair, and I'm like, no, um, I don't care how ridiculous it might look one day. I'm gonna grow it long and keep in a ponytail, and I'll be that weird guy with a few strands of hair there in a ponytail. Uh, because when I when I, I still go to sleep sometimes and dream I have hair, wake up and that's the nightmare. Is oh my god, I, it's I, I don't have the hair anymore. And All that's you have the to nightmare. do <laughs> show her a picture of Kirk Hammett, and if he's good, <laughs> he's got it long and he's balding, and let's just all follow him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm there with them. I'm with them. You know, I got a hair surgery. Uh, I got two hair. Uh, I was gonna get a second one, then I said, oh, what the hell? I don't really care. I'm married. I have everything I want. There's a certain thing that happens to a man in your 40s, I think. You, you don't have to answer to anyone, and everyone needs your help. Mm-hmm. I don't need anyone else's help. I don't ask for help, and I'll be damned if I'm going to. You know, I don't care if I'm busted-legged. I'm not going to ask for help. But people come ask me for help. So I don't need anyone's approval anymore. So I don't care what I look like. And I, if I want the long hair to hell with it, I'm going to have it, even if I'm balding. Yeah. I'm, like, what kind of procedures did you get then? I got a, that uh, Bosley, the hair replacement follicles, where they poke holes in your head and one by one implant the follicles in there. How did that work? Or is it just it a temporary thing? It worked pretty good. I, I, uh, I was working out a lot, so I had a lot of testosterone. And I balded fast. Uh, and then, But this kept my hairline. So I've got thin, scraggly hair, but I have a hairline at the front where otherwise it would be gone. So yeah, mine in the last few years, like it, it thins. It always does, right? Like... What yeah. is testosterone drop by like so many percent once after you turn like 27 as a man, it just kind of falls off the table or that's the way yeah. I've understood it. And so, yeah, balding's going to be part of it. But just recently for me, it's been really starting to go in that front kind of widow's peak area. Yeah. And I'm having like, this is the first time I'll say it out loud. I'm having a little crisis. It's like my... I like you had long hair and I get it. it was part of your like look and whatever but like just me having hair in general I'm like I don't know if I could pull off the shaved head look and it's kind of <laughs> it's weird what things you're still vain about and like you said yeah. we're in our 40s we're professionals we're doing fine doesn't matter but somewhere in the back of my brain I'm I'm like I really want hair <laughs> yes i know i would give ever i would give my left nut and half my money just to have a full head of hair again let's not go that far <laughs> <laughs> these are your testicles sir yeah that's true my libido went off a cliff but i'm not and i don't care i actually it's not the libido so much as i feel a a great um i don't have enough time left in my life and i have everything i want i have money and resources and uh i don't have time for sex I, I, I could care less. 
I, I feel like uh, I'm a sex camel, you know, like that's uh, I, time for more than one position. Who's got time for that? I've got a book to read, a guitar to play, things to research. I can go change the world with some money. Um, so sex is I, maybe I had too much when I'm a kid. That's maybe what my wife says. Uh, maybe not fair to her, but um, it's not high on my priority list. No, and that's like I. it's weird. I've been doing a lot of kind of maturing and reading and trying to grow the fuck up right and it's like, <laughs> and some of it is like it's it's better to kind of stay like on point and kind of going towards like keep setting goals and achieving them don't just flat out retire and just stop doing shit right like always or find a job and just work that same job over and over until you're bitter and dead right like right just keep keep looking for something keep moving forward right like yeah like a shark, you have to or you stop. I mean, yep. uh, people who retire after a life of work, they kind of fade away a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have to keep doing something. And I th- like the numbers for people that may not be able to retire, especially like Gen X and what is after us, millennials, like it looks grim. Like good on you for yeah. kind of work. Like you bust your ass for eight years. You tucked your money away where you could. And now you have this nest egg that you can invest and hope it booms and retire right but like yeah i think the numbers are in like 60 70 percent of people like they're looking for 72 to retire yeah that's uh that's brutal it, it does boil down to poor planning but at, a, at the age of 20 or 30 or 40 who's really planning for retirement but Nobody. who's sitting and us then, down and teaching us that though yeah and you have to, and no one tells you you're going to make mistakes along the way. And it takes 10 years to learn how to do that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, by the time you're 50 and you start looking at, oh, I got 10 years to retire, you're going to make mistakes. You're 60, you get there and you go, shit, now, I, now I'm at retirement age and I haven't really done anything yet. Like, I'm lucky that I fell into a government job. So then a pension comes along with it. But I didn't start putting into that until I was like mid to late 30s. So, like, how long do I have to work to get enough of a nest egg put away, right? So, it's... Yeah. And I'm lucky I fell into that, right? So, how many people... Because before that, I was kind of barn restaurant industry. I didn't put a penny away, right? Like, No, there's no pension plan for that. No. And that's... I think there's too many of those people that kind of... You pass that line that's somewhere in your 30s, and you become that kind of... That parody. You're not... The cool, like you're trying to be the cool young restaurant guy, but you're not anymore. But you have to keep doing it because you have nothing, and you spent all your money still partying with the teenagers every night. And it's like, I came yeah, close I think, to. I think more people did that than we realize. More oh, yeah. of them, I did that as well. Yeah, no, it's so. That's the one thing. Like, I I still get along with my ex-wife, and I remember because I was working at. <laughs> Um, one of the BPs in Regina here and then we had a kid and then one day she's like you got to get a day job like this 3 a.m. bullshit is not working with a child right and so I went and got a like a term job with government because nothing's permanent out of the gates with government and I just kept working hard and putting in the time right so well, you're lucky you got a, a permanent job or even that term job. I, I couldn't get one to save my life. For 10 years, I tried getting a government job. The best I got was a post office. Yeah. But that, like you said also, that was, what did that have been, 90s? Yeah. Early, yeah. And so yeah. 
hair was still a thing. Tattoos were like not cool. Any piercings, you were an outcast, right? Like, yeah. Now it's so weird because I'm in the payroll HR department, right? And all they celebrate now is um, diversity and inclusion, and we'll hire whoever, and it doesn't matter how you look. And it's the, those kind of notions might have paid you better in the 90s right it's just oh wow i would have given anything for that and it's nice to see they do that now but i'm jealous yeah it's um the millennials and gen z are getting it way better because we even had a big conference and the guy that was kind of like um hosting it he had long hair and tattoos all over the place and he was dressed full hip hipster right and he even said he goes like even 10 years ago he goes i never would have been on the stage and you guys wouldn't have taken me seriously so yeah that's uh yeah it's it's kind of funny to think that because they although they have all these choices and we're inclusive and and uh doing a lot of good diversity i'm worried about the kids future um right now with the covid it's like they're losing a whole generation a year of school imagine being 18 right now and you can't you have to break the rules to go get laid. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can't socialize. You can't move your career forward. You're stuck. There's not a lot of job movement, and uh, and you're not if you're not in school, you're not gaining any skills. So I don't know what's going to happen to these people. And in the future, it's looking grim. There's all this stimulus and this this global uh, habit of pouring money out now, and that's going to devalue the dollar and the and and the future of our kids' economy, we have to pay that debt back. They're going to have to pay it back. We're borrowing against their futures. So I don't know what it's going to look like. In Japan, they overcrowded the nation. Now there's more diapers sold for adults than babies. And there's all this pressure and people committing suicide because they feel like the whole weight of the society is on them. And, and it's hard because they don't have the same potential. Their money doesn't go as far. And they, they don't have discretionary income uh, as much as even 10 or 15 years ago. No. Well, even here, like, it's insane. In, like, 2008, I think it was, pretty much every house in Regina doubled in value. In a yeah, matter I heard of, about that. In, like, six months. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and so, so how, how are you going to get into a house then? Then you're renting no, forever. No. Anyone younger than me is fucked. That or you need two incomes and you need two good-paying jobs because, like, a decent house now is like three hundred and eighty to five hundred thousand dollars. Like what house? Like when you wow. lived here, would you have paid half a million dollars for a house in Regina? No way. Yeah, you'd expect a mansion for that. Yeah, and it's like when I got married, we bought before the boom, so we got a nice like starter size, like six seven hundred square foot home for like a hundred and some thousand. Like it was the very beginnings of the boom like the guy that flipped the house to us probably paid 80 made it wow. a lot nicer sold it us sold to us for one something right but then when i got separated i got half the equity in it when i went away and they reappraised the house at like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. wow and the house isn't any better like yeah yeah and- that's uh that's financial games and banking systems playing with our future taking away our wealth, our generational wealth, and the opportunity. Uh, now all that money that we would have poured in the economy goes into real estate and somebody's profit, and, and that that's just doesn't seem fair. No. And that's the thing, right? Like, especially now with COVID, how many people, and I know this is bad in the States, like aren't one, is it one third of people can't pay rent and can't pay their mortgages or haven't since COVID hit? And it's like, 
up here I have friends and I've had discussions. It's like some people like their marriage is falling apart, but they can't get divorced because then they're all screwed. They're going to lose the house. Um, just there's horrible scenarios because yeah. like, like, cause you're buying a $400,000 house and it's like, who could afford that? And our minimum wage is probably barely moved since you left. <laughs> like, were they doing a basic universal income or something there at all? I mean, how is there a mortgage or a rent moratorium like there is here? It's expiring in January or something where people Just are going to have to pay six months of back rent. In in the States, I watched, do you know who Jimmy Dore is? No. He's on YouTube. He's a comedian, actually. And he's probably the, to me, my favorite source for getting the truth about what's going on in the States. And he gives bare bones statistics without any kind of left or right wing shine to it. And yeah, wow. like that, and he was the one where I think it was one third or two thirds of America are completely fucked when December 31st comes around, unless something gets extended. Right. And right. Like how many of those $1,200 checks have gone out? I can't even remember down there. Right. So they're talking about doing another one. I think the news came out today. They might do another one. Thing. But uh, all that money is generally being going to go to places like that's a drop in a bucket. It's hush money for us to shut up and take it while they give the money to the corporations. Right. And the banks and everything. Yeah. 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 Save the system and screw the people again. I think in the 50s and 60s, the marginal tax, the tax burden was on the corporations mostly. And the, and the tax burden on the wealthy was really high in the up to 90 percent. Now mm-hmm. it's completely shifted away. And then wealth inequality is a huge problem. Event, this is what happened in France. And eventually the people rise up and say, fuck you, I have nothing left to lose. Uh, didn't France just have something a week or two ago also? Like, they're they're back to kind of fighting against the system. I'm surprised there hasn't been more in America, right? Like, like I said, Jimmy Dore, the guy that I watch, he calls America an oligarchy. And it it's not far yeah. off. Like, no, yeah, I think that's more accurate than uh, it's. It doesn't feel like capitalism. It's corrupt as hell, mm-hmm. and it's it's all geared towards the corporations and lobbyists, and and it's not a fair even pay, playing field at all. No, and I think people like AOC and there was a couple of them, Bernie. Um, I can't remember the other lady's name, but there felt like there was this glimpse of hope and a movement, but now it's just they shoveled a bunch more money at the corporations and just. That's not where it should go. It needs you need to give money to people to survive and pay their rent, pay their mortgages. And it's just there's a crash coming and it's not going to be pretty. And like, what's the homeless rate going to be, let alone the unemployment rate? Right. It's terrifying. But, you know, I have to say there's a great equalizer in this uh, and it's cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Eventually, Uh, the money is the dollar is becoming devalued. And there's there's a global crash coming. We all know that. Or or even if there isn't a crash, there's the debt to pay that's going to cripple our, our children and our grandchildren and their and their our descendants. But uh, and the fiat banking system is failing and uh, the government money doesn't mean much anymore. They, they're printing as much as they want to get out of debt, which devalues everything further. And every time this happens in history, uh, something happens like a collapse in that system. Uh, luckily, we have a Bitcoin. This is the first asset in history. That's that's uh, got a limited supply that can't be mined like gold mm-hmm. and uh, it's growing and it's going to continue to grow. Um, and that will be an equalizer because people everywhere can get a piece of that and and go around the banking system, go around the governments. And it's completely decentralized. 
So that'll offer, offer people an opportunity to equalize the wealth system if they can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll come eventually. But that's still not the only answer. That's just one piece of the puzzle. No. And the f- well, at least no one has found a way to introduce fuckery to cryptocurrency <laughs> in any way, right? Because right. that's the problem. Like, oh, there's there's a pandemic. We're just going to... Because they don't even print money anymore. It's all digital, right? And so, like, they were throwing, what, trillions a day at this thing? And it was yeah. all with the corporations at the bank, so they didn't collapse it wasn't at the people and so yeah like what is the dollar worth if you can't actually see it feel it like it's not something tangible like there isn't like you said there's so many bitcoin period and it's whatever is mined at that rate that's all it's increasing by um and that's something i think the dollar's lost its way because it's just it's funny money now yeah yeah it doesn't it doesn't uh, i think this year they said uh, 80% of the money in circulation was printed this year, um, was out of thin air. It wasn't created. It wasn't earned. It was just made and given out with debt financing and derivatives. Yeah. Um, yeah and somebody will make profit off of that, but it's not going to be the common man or the working man. Hmm. Do you Unfortunately, think- the, uh, the, the, the people are easily swayed by propaganda or whatever base desires we have. So we'll vote again to shoot ourselves in the foot every time if somebody can take advantage of that. And they can. That's what Trumpism is, I think. Fear mongering, hate mongering, base desires, um, and just just diverting your attention away from what's wrong in your life and finding someone to blame. Yeah. And uh, and, and it ruins everything because then it, 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 it democracy means nothing if it's that easily corruptible. No, and that's where social media, I think, is steering us in the wrong direction also. Yeah, like, definitely. We're yelling into a wind tunnel. <laughs> and it's just Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's listening to anybody anymore. And facts don't matter. News doesn't matter. And, it's, uh, and no one can believe anything. So you don't even believe a scientist, a doctor. You don't believe anybody. But that, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like, it feels like just... What what are called news networks? Are they really news, or are they? Is it all opinion pieces now? Like, What's I don't know what it's like in Canada. There used to be uh, some good news there. I thought CBC I mean, is I, still I trust, okay, right? Yeah, but I don't even know that NPR is trustable down here anymore. Yeah, it's I can't even remember what was considered the like accurate. I just know to avoid like. Um, CNN, Fox News, CNBC, and those are supposed to be like the epitome of news, but it seems like it's all opinion pieces now. So yeah, yeah, and and it's too hard to distinguish for your common man or your grandpa or whoever's sitting there watching TV what's real and what's not, what's news, what's opinion, and there's there's nobody that's just fair and balanced or trustworthy, and right. if they are, they're drowned out by all these other voices. Yeah, yeah, down there. I would say, like, I like Jimmy Dore, the Young Turks to a point, but the guy seems a little ragey every once in a while for me. What is it, Jank or whatever? But, like, just to find, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unbiased. Like, I want unbiased news. And at least up here, like, when Harper was in power, I think he tried to skew it where you could bring in stuff like the Fox and CNN style news that was skewed and... I don't think he was able to pass it or something stopped it. But I remember he was trying to make Canadian news more like American systems. But 
Yeah. Isn't that what's the the sun? Isn't that uh, the Calgary, the Toronto? I don't know. The sun's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad now because we're, our, our people will never know that. Like, how? What are kids going to do? Like, how can you tell a phishing scam on on in your email is hard to distinguish sometimes mm-hmm. for for a trained professional. So yeah. I don't know what our kids are going to do. They're going to fall into all kind of traps and pitfalls. Yeah, it's well as long as it's not a Nigerian prince with your gold waiting. I think it's <laughs> right. It's, yeah, some are I've obvious. Residents falling for that still. That. Right. Like I, my mom's still around. Right. And it's like, she has email that she gets up and reads every day. I don't know how many of these like, Hey, it's me from the Ukraine. Can you send me 50 bucks to help me get out of this and get a ticket? Right. Like you're pulling on people's heartstrings with a lot of this stuff. Right. And you're picking on a generation that probably has more empathy to them and aren't kind of beaten down by the internet. So. Right. And, and it, you know, it's pretty hard to tell what's real or like try and tell someone go find the right price on a fridge. I mean, a person who's been around the internet can figure it out, but how do you teach that? There's a way to do it, but you got to give a kid a class, a 10 year old, a 12 year old, an 18 year old, how are they going to know how to find the right price for that fridge? No. And that's, yeah. And like we said, how no one saved, right? Like money management, planning for retirement, um, just, why isn't that part of the basic math system? Why don't you get more into money and financing with that? It's right. Like in school, no one taught us about how to, what are taxes? How do, how do you handle it? How, what about decisions? If it's time to make a good decision, how come nobody taught me that you have to be unemotional and the bigger the decision, the more time you should spend thinking about it. Nobody taught me that. Wouldn't that have been valuable? Mm-hmm. And that's like, how old are your kids? Mine's 13. I got uh, four, seven, and 12. Okay. So, yeah. So approaching teens, right? And it's like, I've been sitting here because I'm kind of watching how his education and what they're teaching him is different and how it's the same from mine. And aside from me not fucking understanding new math, but like a lot of it's still the same. And it's maybe a broken system that just like we need to teach them a little more like life. Yeah. There's a, there's this cool book I read about emotional intelligence. Nobody taught about like what I was thinking about was in Netherlands and Denmark, where you have to have a master's degree to teach kindergarten and they pay them six figures. Uh, We don't have that kind of, we have closer to that value system in Canada, but not at all in America. Whoever, anyone can be a teacher and, and the system is completely fucked. It doesn't teach you anything, but the same old stuff they were teaching us 40 years ago, which doesn't prepare us for life at all. I would say it probably hasn't changed in a hundred years. Like, so it's up to us then, right? As parents, we got to decide to do that, but there's no handbook. Uh, yeah. Will Smith said this cool thing in this documentary called dads. Um, he was putting together his TV, his picture in picture TV. It had a thousand page manual. He's going through it. He had a kid that same day. He brings the kid home. There's no fucking manual. He doesn't know what to do. It's a kid. <laughs> yep. Man. Oh, did I lose you? What do you? How do you keep yourself busy now? Me? Yeah. What um, do you do for entertainment? Oh, uh, it's weird. Like my divorce was four years ago, and you knew me before that. I was kind of like metal guy, comic book guy. Um, 
in that nerd kind of area. And it was weird because after I got divorced, I tried to kind of, I thought I would just pick up and keep doing that stuff. And it's weird now. So I realized I don't like playing video games anymore as much as I used to. Like, if at all, nothing brings me that joy, right? Um, right. Music, I'm still seeking out the stuff from my youth, right? Like, I don't find new music engaging in any way. Like, I was more excited four years ago when Faith No More reunited and made an album. So I kind of had to, like, I don't know what your opinion on him is, but I listened to a lot of um, Jordan Peterson, the Canadian professor. And Uh so I know, (laughs) I don't know where you stand with him, but, like, I like his kind of no nonsense like just work towards something strive towards something life sucks sometimes pull up your boots let's go right and I kind of needed that because my dad passed away in 2011 and so I don't think I've ever gotten that kind of like fuck let's go kind of dad lecture in the last decade and so right and so I needed to hear some kind of like disappointed dad voice and so I kind of just stopped being lazy and kind of tried to find me again and so it's funny like I just lost almost 50 pounds in the last year and a half um I've reconnected with a few people that I used to be really good friends with like Nathan from Luther um yeah we had a falling out 20 years ago and we've only recently reconnected in the last few years and that's kind of why I reached out to you and it's like I'm trying to rebuild these connections with people that I felt, or at least I felt I had something there more than just the surface to get along with. Right. So yeah, I'm back in shape. I've set a bunch of goals for myself. One was to get back into shape. I can run 5k. I've never been able to run 5k. I live across from the Wascana. I zip around it whenever it's nice. Um, I have um, an electronic drum kit here. I'm going to start taking drum lessons through an online thing. Um, I'm just trying to build on myself and just get the brain kind of like the, the rust knocked off it again. Um, this podcast initially was me trying to think of maybe, um, a way to get famous or a get rich quick kind of thing. Right. Cause podcasts kind of boomed three, four years ago. Right. Right. Um, but was it also perhaps a way to leave a mark? Um, something a legacy. Now being a father and and wanting to leave some kind of message for your kid or your descendants. Now Maybe in I'll... the last year, I would say yes. Now I'm like, now it does cross my mind. I hope someday he can listen to me because I have no recordings, nothing left of my dad. Like I have items, but he can sit down and listen to me shooting the shit with whoever right or just my ramblings and this that's why i'm paying the whatever to keep like i have unlimited storage on soundcloud for my podcast right so as long as i pay it they're there forever and um it is kind of neat to think that he'll be able to listen to me someday but yeah i think that's important because you said something earlier that really struck with me your dad passed in 2011 do you think his voice is in your head Oh, it is. like Right? Like, that's where you get... Isn't that where we as men get our role model? Like, eventually it kicks in. You're 50 or you're 40 or you're 30 and you say to yourself, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? My dad never told me. He's still... My dad's still alive and, and he won't open up and tell me anything. What do you want from me? I can ask him and he won't tell me. Yeah. So all I go have is what did he do with his life? And I have to guess at his motivations. 
Nope. And I'll assume you're probably more like me where I'm way more open, forthcoming and trying to be the best dad I can be when I like we're 50 50. So he's here for a week, gone for a week. Right. And so he's been pulled out of school. So I like that. I get to kind of curate his education, be on top of it. And I'm helping guide him. And um, I find that I have more meaningful conversations with my 13 year old than I ever had with my dad up until him passing when I was in my thirties. Right. So I think we're trying to undo the things that are missing in our life Mm -hmm. that, that we wish we had and, and who knows what effect that'll have on our kids. But you know, all through history, it's probably been like that primitive kid looked at his primitive dad who passed away at 30 and said, well, I guess I got to be like him. And, and you just take what he did with his life and guess at his motivations. But we're doing something different. We're trying to teach our kids by talking to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a definitely a different time. And yeah, it's neat. And especially now, like with this podcast, it went from me trying to find maybe my internet fame. And like you said, now it's more of a legacy. And... I find, especially when I catch up with people like you, or I've done a few with Nathan and some other friends too, right? Um, uh-huh. It really helps me um, mentally. And just, it's almost like talking out my therapy. Yes, but I'm in complete admiration that you had the balls to go do it and the, and the ambition and initiative to do something like this because it's not the easiest thing in the world to take on a a task and then see it through and keep going. Yeah, no, that's true. I have a list on my wall and like podcasting was on it, but I stopped kind of putting the effort into it because I didn't, I didn't get famous quick. Right. So, but then somewhere in this last year, I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it weekly. I'm putting in the effort. I'm going to reach out to people and I'm going to give it my all. Right. And so yeah, it's been a good year. Like, COVID aside, me still trying to keep my sanity. I fixed my podcast. I can run 5K. I'm the smallest I've been since I was 17. Um, and I'm working on a bunch of other stuff, like the drum kits here and being a better dad, right? Like, Do you think, yeah, maybe COVID did this for us maybe this is the thing that came out of it is we we all got introspective about it and really looked at our goals in our lives i hope people do like it matters we have to nothing me nothing else to do with our time that would be a waste of time otherwise mm, i think there's enough people that just they either spend their spare time like there's too much like like i said i quit facebook there's the page for the podcast and i don't look at anything else i don't look at the tire fires and i kind of yeah. I'm on Twitter and a few other things, but I follow who I want. It's just, but I've cut it down to minimal time per day because I think social media is ruining us and just this, everyone wants these quick hits, right? Yeah. And they're yeah, getting, a lack of patience, like an ADD world. Yeah. Um, and just they're, yeah, they need to, I don't know. I'm in no place. I, got my shit together at 46 right <laughs> so i should I'm not be kind of the same boat as you yeah like i should not be giving life advice but like i think <laughs> this certain way that i've gone about it i'm content now like when i was going through like leading up to my separation and after i was riddled with anxiety and i was medicated and i was obviously 50 pounds overweight because now 
I weigh 165 pounds and back then I weighed 220, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's a huge change. And yeah, and I feel amazing. And after I go for a run, it's the good dopamine as opposed to playing video games and whatever and going to jerk off, right? Like, it's just, you have to, you have to find hard work pays off and you do feel better after, but it's, it's hard work. And sadly, Uh, I, I would disagree that, that you would say that you're not qualified to give good life advice. You can look at people who are traditionally successful and they gave everything to do it. But did they ever have the ups and downs that gave them the quality of life or purpose that you're talking about to reexamine yourself? There, there's something that happens after a divorce or something tragic where we tear ourselves down. We hit sort of a rock bottom and then we get to choose who we are and build ourselves up again. We thought we knew who, what, everything when we were 18 and then we get handed a bunch of failures. And then you can take that and just keep trucking along or you can tear yourself down and say, I'm going to choose who I am again. I'm going to decide what I want to do with my life and who I'm going to be. And you've done that. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. And, and I did that too. The divorce was the stimulus. When, mm-hmm. when I said, okay, well, I failed. I thought I had everything I wanted and it didn't go anywhere. Those traditionally successful people kind of get everything handed to them after that or they earned it, but they gave up a part of themselves. Did they ever reexamine themselves to say, this is what I need to do to fix it, to make myself better and to maybe... For me, after having kids, it's it's about giving my kids an example of mm-hmm. what kind of people I want them to be. So you are qualified to give good advice um, because you've you've gone through those passages, those rites of passage, and you came out not a coward. You came out brave enough to look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do to fix this? What can I do better? And uh, another thing that crossed my mind when you were talking about this was I've, I've been watching a lot of YouTubers, mostly for Bitcoin and stuff, but I've seen what they've done over three years where they just keep plugging along every day. Some of them are like 23 years old and they've got growing subscriber lists. It's because they didn't stop and they keep trying and they keep improving and they keep plugging away. And eventually, if you do something for 20 years, you're going to be good at it and you'll be rewarded for that. No, I agree. I got because I started this um almost three years ago to now and i got a modicum of success and i started getting like a few hundred plays a month which to me was pretty impressive but then i just kind of stopped inviting people over to record stopped reaching out and trying to find guests and it died and so in june of this year that entire month i had 10 plays that whole month and then in july i was like fuck it I flipped the table and I said, every week I'm doing minimum one and I have to hold myself accountable to that. And I have, whether it's me rambling about something or whatever the topic of the week is. Um, The last month I kind of compared the 80s and the 90s for like which one I preferred on all the different pop culture mediums. But yeah, just keep going. And you have to. And and if you don't, that's where you kind of give up and, and stop you don't have the reward for any success because you didn't put the effort in then. Yep. But also, I don't think that's taught. Like we said, it's, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like hard work is not a life lesson that's kind of preached anywhere, right? Like on on the other end. I don't know if it is anywhere. Like, you know, Van Gogh and all those kind of people, 
the the people who changed history not that we're trying to be them but the people who had the balls to go and do what they wanted it took 20 years and i don't know that they had a playbook either they kind of learned these lessons along the way which is what we're doing Mm -hmm. we're learning to be better and we're we're trying to be better i just i don't know that anyone does it right at the age of 20 right like none of these people get famous that young unless it's just stupid talent that you know god-given talent for singing or dancing or whatever it is no the real people i admire it took them ages it took them 40s and 50s to get to where where it mattered what they were doing yeah i can't remember where i saw and it was just this week because i still watch some kind of self-improvement stuff to kind of keep it fresh in my brain so I don't take the gas off the or my foot off the gas and the one thing said it's like men actually don't reach their peak until like between 45 and 55 where like they get it they have some value um, and they've got some savings and have established themselves so we're in the right place it just it takes a while yeah yeah and it takes making those mistakes yeah. Uh, and learning from them. And, and that's not easy because we don't want to look at ourselves and see what's wrong. And then and then I think it takes hitting a rock bottom. That's why I've, I've always believed that people who are divorced and try again are I don't want to say more valuable, but they have they have something more to offer because they've seen what it, what mistakes have been made and they have the opportunity to do it right again. I don't know that everyone does that, but uh, the people who do, you can see the improvement in their lives. It's not because they're trying to compete with their ex or anything. It's they're trying to compete with themselves. I also, well, there's those that use it as that, like you did, I did. They use, and it, I had to dig myself out of a pretty big emotional hole where I just was wallowing for a few years after. But I think there are, you have to have that improvement mindset because there's, I find, at least I think it's a growing percentage of people are the finger pointing kind like it's that guy's fault it's that guy's fault and if only he would have done this i would have succeeded and that's one thing that i try to remove from my life completely um is just it's it's about me i work on me i worry about me and i don't point fingers if i don't succeed and i don't know i find it's working it makes a lot of sense like i just had a job interview for management in the last two months. I didn't get it. I'm not mad at them. <laughs> right. Like right. it's you go, you follow up and you're like, okay, where, where did it go wrong? Was it my application? Was it my interview? Where do I need to polish it up? And I've got some pretty, like the job I have right now, if you looked at like 19 to 23 year old me that you met, <laughs> you would be dumbfounded that I have this job. Like I'm, I'm a specialist for payroll for a provincial government. Like I, that barely... sounds pretty good. Yeah. And it's like most people, that's didn't a think whole I... career. People can shoot the, you know, train for that and never get there. And I have no CPA. I have nothing. Mine was get your foot in the door, get a term, keep working hard and keep asking, what do I need to do? Right. Right. Rather than the finger pointing, the blaming, the childish kind of it's your fault rather than taking responsibility or accountability. And don't get me wrong. In the past, I have had my hissy fits. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it's like now I'm at that point where it's like, okay, cool. It's just it's water off a duck's back. Right. Like keep trucking. Let's keep going. Right. Like, yeah, slow down for the speed bump. Don't let it fucking rip your axle off. (laughs) 
you know, when I was uh, uh, going through that divorce, I, I really tried to tear myself down. I wasn't suicidal, but I went deep into drug addiction, self-pity, self-reflection, all that kind of mess. Um, but something good came out of that. I don't know where I was going with that, but there was a point there. No, and I remember... I remember when you were married. I remember you had that, you had a nightclub on Vic, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, but then that's kind of when each of us kind of started going our own way, right? Like, you had the nightclub and that, and I remember Nathan and I, I think, hung out with you a few times during that time, and then I'm not, I can't remember what year you went away, and then he gets married, and then I kind of fell into the restaurant bar industry, and that's, like, you know, it's a hole you don't want to go down. And it took me a long yeah. time to grow up and come out of it and be yeah. a man. And it's just, we all kind of went apart. And part of this whole journey of mine is I've been bringing things back together. And like, I'm super thankful that Nathan and I chit chat again now. Right. Yeah. And just like what, a, what a cool guy. Uh, you know, I don't know a lot about him, but I, I sure would. I wish sometimes I think I would love to live in Regina. So I had a crew of guys that I could go and have Sunday lunch with, you know, Mm-hmm. And feel grounded and feel like, you know, we're all on this journey together. And I think you and Nathan would definitely be in that group. Yeah, it's and it's so weird. It's because it's a connection from 23 years ago. But yeah, right. Like what what's what's unusual about that? I mean, it wasn't other people. I don't I don't think that about a, a whole bunch of other people we went to school with. Jesse Kendall's one, though. We had such an eclectic, weird mishmash and it was on like it seemed like one quad was the party quad whatever but our (laughs) quad we had such a weird like i remember a lot of the names and a lot of the people um from that one period when we were all on second south together and it just it worked and we all like we did things together as like this little community and that's what resonates with me and that's why i still why like i'm reaching out to you 20 years later to to catch up and it it means something right yeah i mean i'm curious about a lot of other people there now too thinking about it yeah. curious it doesn't mean i had a connection with them mm-hmm. no you can always facebook <laughs> stop yeah. those you're kind of curious about but yeah it's like that's the one saving grace of facebook is i have stayed in touch with some people that it's like hey they were cool that's awesome let's we can chit chat once in a while or say hey right so and even this year i am like i'm trying to go more old school with kind of like you know how birthdays i think have become just saying like hey happy birthday on facebook i'm trying to re like go back in time so i'm sending out christmas cards this year for the first time in my life at 46 i'm doing christmas cards like handwritten hey you have a great Christmas, right? Yeah, it means so much more because someone took effort, a little bit of effort. Yeah, and like one of my friends texted today and they're like, this is awesome. Thanks for the Christmas card. Um, I'm kind of worried I put a Canadian stamp on the one for you. <laughs> so I might get it back. So it might turn into a New Year's card if I get it returned. But like, it's just little sentiments like that. And yeah, I reached out to like Nathan, Melissa, um cam like there's a solid handful of people from luther that i still really like them and care about them so i'm like i'm gonna write something and send it to them right like hey have a good christmas right so 
that's really cool. I think you're a good human being. Finally. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> well, you had the potential. That's why everyone, uh, I think, like, that's why I was drawn to you as well, because there was something there. It wasn't just superficial. And you weren't just plodding along a path and mindlessly putting your feet in front of you. You had a thinking mind on your head. Yeah. I wasn't using your bar that you built in your room for just personal gain. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I'd completely forgotten about that until two days ago. Hmm. There's Yeah, sometimes I forget about that too. I did get kicked out of Luther for that. I, I, or what's the statute of limitation on running a bar in a dorm? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it must but, be over by now. Yeah, but just those, like, I can't believe I forgot about it. But now when I think about it, it's such a warm, awesome, like, period. <laughs> where, like, we had some really cool people around us. There was still, like, those people that would come in, party, get punted, or, like, academic probation and gone, right? But, like, right. we were there for a few years, and it just... It worked, right? And it was yeah, like it was we... what it's supposed to be—a growing period uh, of self-exploration. We could have done it better, though, you know. Like we could have been more introspective or, or sitting around talking about life more, but we didn't know any better at the time. Oh fuck, we were twenty. I wonder if that's what Harvard is or something, where people actually, you know, discuss philo- philosophical ideas and academic ideas more. That would have been cool, but. Yeah. Um, we never did that. I didn't do that. My IQ would need an extra 40 points slapped on it for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Even to get thought about for... No, but I get what you mean, right? Like, But I think we still, aside from all the insanity of that place, and we're 20, or in our 20s, and so 98% of our brain power is being operated by our dick telling us who to exactly. chase, right? Or exactly. what we're drinking that weekend, or Wednesday, or whatever, right? And it's like... So for what I got out of it, I'm super thankful for the core of people that I've taken out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's led to this conversation, sadly for you, 23 years later. (laughs) (laughs) I found you. So Yeah, you did. You did. I would definitely like to do this again. I've been talking to your, well, I don't think I've been talking to your, but I've taken up an hour and 20 minutes of your time. And you're a family yeah, man, so it's pretty good. The kids are getting restless behind me. No, I I can hear them. It's it's like what is it like the swelling of the ocean? Every once in a while, I hear kind of a ruckus, <laughs> and the waves are getting closer together. So I'm a dad. Yeah. I'm a dad. I get it. <laughs> the greatest job of my life. Yeah, and my advice now as a dad of a 13 year old, when they want to do something, don't say no. Don't blow them off. Put every when you have time, put it in, because now I've reached that age where the 13-year-old has his own friends and he's doing his own thing, and oh, dad man. and dad's getting blown off now. And so, uh, yeah, but I was that kid too, right? Like, you can right. think back to that exact point where your parents just weren't that um, crucial piece of your life anymore that you knew of, right? So Yeah, yeah. You still got the young ones. Put the time in. That's that. That is damn good advice, man. That's yeah. well. That's because I got blown off for Roblox the other day, so I'm still bitter. <laughs> 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 so, anywho, I'll I'll yeah. cut it there. I would love to well, make this really a regular thing. So, yeah, 
I got yeah, your we number. Catch up more often. And for God's sake, one thing, another thing that I've kind of picked up, sadly, in the middle of a pandemic, is um, more of a minimalism thing. And instead of owning things, I want to start going on adventures. So at some point, whether you come here or I get in a car and go there, I do, or I would really like to see and face a face again. So definitely you're welcome here anytime and one day we should consider taking a motorbike trip with my cousin to india go up to the himalayas or something on a motorbike see a guru me across international waters i don't know if that'll work (laughs) but (laughs) but no that's a hundred percent like it's i'm gonna start trying to build memories for my kid not toys on his shelf right and so right i'm starting to plan places i want to go to once this veil lifts so yeah, something good come out of this. That that's one of them. So just like a hundred years ago, I'm waiting for the Roaring Twenties. So yeah, yeah, it's coming. And sadly, hopefully, no uh, Great Depression after that. <laughs> yeah, I hope Fuck. not. But yeah. awesome! Congratulations on the crypto news. That's amazing. And yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. This it's has been, been great fun. To talk to you. I'll definitely reach out to you in the future and just let me know when you have time, man. And it doesn't always yeah. have to be a podcast. If you just want to shoot the shit, let me know. That's right. We should. We should have a beer together somehow. And and face to face, definitely in the future. Uh I guess I guess next time will be my story of how I haven't drank for a decade. <laughs> oh, there you go. Even better. Part of being a dad. Um yeah. I learned I had zero moderation. You probably could have told me that from what you witnessed twenty years ago, but still <laughs> I know it now, so Cool. No, I'm going to let you go. Go have fun yeah. with your fam. Go enjoy yourself. Um, feel free to um, reach out. I'll try and keep in touch as much as I can. Sounds good, buddy. Awesome. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.